This, I thought, ignored an important fact about how Jim Diamond got to be a convict in the first place. But it was true. We'd researched the guy very carefully in the firearms department, not wanting to blunder unwittingly into any high-caliber developments. Between my husband Wade's friends and Ellie's husband George's, we'd been in touch with just about anyone who might have sold or given Jim Diamond a deadly weapon, and nobody had. So unless he'd found one by the side of the road somewhere, I happened to know that he'd come out of jail owning little more than the clothes he was wearing when he was arrested, Jim would be unarmed. And anyway, I wasn't about to turn back. We sped over the Harmonyville Bridge, the wide mouth of the river below us tumbling and foaming with the force of the tide rushing into it. To our left, the river opened into Passamaquoddy Bay, deep blue, with a little red scallop dragger puttering out as we passed, and gulls drawing white V-shapes on the azure sky. Besides, we're not going to argue with him, Ellie added. We're just going to blind him with science. The science in this case being a simple equation. He talks to us equals we don't talk to his probation officer. Assuming he owned up to being a bullying rascal, I mean, and promised to quit. Still, I couldn't seem to shake the notion that the whole thing might turn out to be far more complicated than that. After all, Diamond hadn't been very susceptible to the do-it-equals-go-to-jail equation in the first place, had he? Gotta have it. A basic toolkit equals a hammer, a pair of pliers, two screwdrivers, one slot head and one Phillips head, a small crescent wrench, a tape measure, and a box of Band-Aid plastic strips in assorted sizes. But I really needed those threats stopped and the police had been no help in doing anything about them. So I pressed the gas pedal down a little harder as we entered the Moosehorn Wildlife Refuge. Atop a tall wooden platform a hundred yards from the road, a bald eagle swiveled its enormous white head slowly, gazing down at us from a nest big enough to belong to a pterodactyl. The Fiat's engine growled, as if it too were some species of predatory wildlife, when I downshifted for the next set of curves. And, Ellie pronounced, as if this settled everything, it's a fine day for a ride. Right. Probably this visit would turn out fine as well. I only wished I didn't suddenly have such a bad feeling about it. Yes, I replied, keeping my voice light. No sense alarming anyone else. Yes, it certainly is. Then I just concentrated on the road its blacktop heavily rutted and potholed from the steady traffic of massive logging trucks and 18-wheelers alternating with the tourists' RVs. With us in the car that day was Ellie's daughter, Leonora, who, unlike the car seat she rode in, had not been professionally installed, arriving instead in the amateur way about seven months earlier. We'd also brought my father, who had once been an angry man himself, and said he could remember how and my son Sam's ex-girlfriend Maggie, to care for Leonora in an emergency. Not that I really expected one, despite my misgivings. I wouldn't have brought any of them along, not even Ellie, if I had truly believed the scene with Jim Diamond would get ugly. No, it would be unpleasant, but perfectly manageable if all went as planned. And as far as I knew, there was absolutely no reason why it shouldn't. Or at any rate, that was what I went on telling myself for another ten miles.
The road widened as we reached the town of Whiting, passing the tiny general store with its pair of extra gas pumps, one for diesel, one for kerosene. Little houses, each with a garden plot neatly planted in peas and potatoes, dotted the pale green slopes around the white-clabbered two-room school. Maggie, do we need to stop? I asked over my shoulder. By which I meant, did Leonora need changing, feeding, or to have any item of her complicated costume deleted or adjusted? Strapped into her car seat, the baby currently wore a pink, long-sleeved cotton romper, a floppy sun hat, a pair of crocheted booties made to look like white high-top sneakers, and a tent of mosquito netting to protect her from flying insects. No, she's fine, Maggie replied. I put more sunscreen on her hands just a little while ago. Wearing a green tailored shirt and tan cargo shorts, Maggie met my glance from her cramped perch on the Fiat's vestigial back seat.